Are you a small business owner that's ready to grow your business through social media without having to hire a full-time staff or a third-party company? Honor your business and yourself and become educated in social media. Visit thesocialweb.news for more information. The Social Web and The Social Web Inner Circle, helping you untangle the web of social media marketing. Yeah, it... um it, you know, it that I think was a motivator too, that we saw that we could work together on a project and, and, um, had that desire to be together. We knew that we could do it and not have it tear us apart. So many people come in like, how do you guys work together like 24 seven and not freak out? <laughs> we rarely fight. The only thing that has ever caused us to fight. Can you guess? Can you guess? It has to be the taste of the wine. It's no. got to be finances. Mm-mm. That's the no. only thing I think. Was it money. never, never money? No. We've really? Never okay, so seriously, Cats what? Cats versus dog. Um, no, we're both cat lovers. I got nothing. What do you think out there? Podcast land. Podcast land. <laughs> <laughs> well, the final answer. Drum roll, please. Carl. It's been a long week, right? Are you ready to wind down? Why not? It's time for the Wine Time Fridays podcast with Shelly and Phil. Neither are sommeliers, but both have a deep passion for life, each other, and delicious wine. And now, here to talk about this week over a glass of wine is Shelly and Phil. It's wine time. I stumble over. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Wine Time Fridays with Shelly and Phil. Episode 55, Double Nickels. Double Nickels. Double Nickels, 55. And when I was born, I guess I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I thought you were 49. You're always 49. Anyway, happy Friday. It's wine time. That is the weakest bell, bell in today. the... Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, so uh, the fake bell is because uh, we're down in Lewiston, Idaho at Clearwater Canyon with the owner's winemaker and vineyard manager... And it's only two people, and they have all those roles. <laughs> Coco and Carl Umaker. You guys, thank you. Welcome, and Hello. thank you for having us. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're down in Lewiston, and Phil um, left the wine bell, the official Wine Time Fridays wine bell on the microwave. So, anyway, we will uh, pivot like we always do. So, we've spent some time with these guys in the last 24 hours. <laughs> They're probably tired of me. They love Shelly, probably very tired of me because I'm a non-talker. And we're going to actually try to coax Coco out of her shell today. We'll see. Because we'll Coco see. is really, really shy. You know, winemakers, they tend to not want to talk about their wines. Yeah, that's not Coco. Yeah, that's not Coco. <laughs> uh, this is what I would like to do. Can we pour the first one? We're going to try four of your wines today. Can we pour that first one? And I would sure. love to know the story behind Clearwater Canyon. Sure, let's Perfect. do it. So we've got four wines we're going to try today. We're going to start out with the Albarino, and then we're going to go to the Rosé, and then we're going to go to the Syrah, is that right, or the Carmenere first? Syrah first, and, and then, then the Carmenere. Carmenere. Yeah, uh, yep. And I do know, go ahead and get these in our glasses. All right. And uh, I do know that these wines... Or you take 
So we've sat through two of their spiels yesterday. And, <laughs> their and spring release. Their spring release, that's right. And Coco, you mentioned numerous times that you take your rosés very serious. Oh, you take your Merlots very serious. You know, <laughs> we take our Carmeniers very serious. My question is, are there any wines that you make that you don't take seriously? Definitely not. Okay, so it's the it's yeah. the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, it's just we take wine seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously. Thank goodness. Um, we're pretty laid back around here, but definitely the wine we take very serious. Well, <laughs> let's go ahead and toast this up to health, to wealth, to abundance, gratitude, romance, and peace on earth. That's right. <laughs> We all need peace on earth. There you go. Perfect. And your giggles. And your kisses. This is a perfect, you know, breakfast wine, actually. (laughs) So we're recording this at 5.30 in the morning. No. No. um, Shelly and I love Albarino to begin with. And to find... this one is great. great. I know. An Albarino that's grown here. Tell us a little bit about this particular wine sure um so we make about 60 to 70 percent of our wine from grapes grown in the valley on a typical year but um, we do venture out of the valley for a few things and albarino is one of them um i've done a lot of wine judging um at different competitions and um, it's the best way i've found to just get inspired by other people's work tasting other winemakers wines and definitely when you're judging at a competition presumably you're getting the things that are the most proud of and most excited about and um i found a lot of inspiration at those and over the years i started noticing these flights of albarinos coming through my my panel and every time i was I had so much envy i mean even when the winemaking maybe wasn't so great you could tell they could maybe had missed a couple things and um, even then, like the wine, the Albarino just wanted to be awesome. Um, Northwest Albarino, um, holds its acid. It's just beautiful. There's a lot of great producers of it. Um, Victor Palencia, um, Apicella, um, Coyote Canyon. I mean, there's so many, I shouldn't say so many, but there's just some remarkable few that are doing it. It's not real common. But it's a grape that really grows well in this region though. It grows well in the Northwest. Okay, yeah. So we don't have a lot of Albert. We don't really have any Albarino to speak of here in the Lewis Clark Valley. So we ventured out to the Crawford Vineyard, and um, we found it because we've been tasting Albarino from the Crawford Vineyard, and we're in love. Mm-hmm. So we went to the Crawfords, um, Charlie and Connie Crawford, and said, "Hey, twisted their arm. <laughs> um, is there any way we can get in on some of that Albarino?" And it just so happened um, they had let go. Um, they uh, one of the wineries they've been working with had let go of um, uh, one of the contracts for it. And nice. so they had a little space for us. So we jumped in there. So Crawford mm-hmm. is near Prosser. Um, and uh, it's a cooler site. It holds the acid so well. It's not a big um, little, it's not a big vineyard. It's the, I think the Albarino block is about 15 acres though. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's big on LC Valley standards, like compared to our place, but um, we're so tiny. We have seven acres in our state vineyard. Um, but Connie, or slightly less. Yeah, yeah. So we say six. So it's actually six and a half. But we uh, 
We round up to <laughs> feel like big shots. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so seven acres if you round. Yeah. 6.5 if you want to be exact. Um, it's about six and a half acres. We say nine. <laughs> we, roll, we roll up to ten. I think that happens a lot, actually, in the Northwest. Um, so anyway, we rolled in there, and um, the first time we met Connie and Charlie, um, I had been communicating with them over the phone and via text. And she's like, she kind of told us where it was at, like the, where the block of Albania was. And, um, we drove out there to it. It's like getting a new puppy. <laughs> See what we're getting. Yeah. Well, yeah. we hadn't like sh- shook on it or anything. We we're just like checking it out. And we drove out through their vineyard based on their description of where that block was at, stopped by this little grove of trees. Like they told us to and walked down and she said they would come find us. Um, actually she said their dog would come find us. And I was like, Oh, way to bring it full circle. G. And pretty soon, like we're wandering around out there in this big, uh, chocolate lab, I think is what it yeah. he is. Yeah. He's kind of a mutt, but, uh, he came barreling towards us and I was, and we're cat people. I mean, we love dogs too, but I'm very, I'm a very small human. Just for those of you that haven't seen a picture of me, I was like, this is the end. <laughs> you know, the dog is going to decide if we're friend or foe. I hope he likes us. And then we get the grapes. Yeah. If he doesn't eat us, we get to go forward and maybe have these grapes and live our lives. And the dog is super sweet. He just like hunted us down and then they've, came rolling in on a four-wheeler with a shotgun on the back. Oh, no. Just in case the dog found the wrong people. Yeah. And we're like, That's awesome. Hi. We're the Umikers. Wow. Um, they're amazing. Um, they come over and spend the night here once a year now um, yeah. and hang out with us. This, this year during the pandemic, they came over and spent the evening with us. We played cornhole out here in the nice. cellar. and. Hung out. How fun is that? They're like part of the family now. So my question to you, Carl, because this is not your necessary. So your roles are Coco. You make the wine, mm-hmm. and Carl, you give her the grapes to make the wine, right? Yeah. Uh, when you're looking at that vineyard for the Albarino, what are you looking for? Uh, you know, I think low low disease pressure. Um, and, and, and really, really good management. Um, do you take soil samples at all? No. Okay. No, uh, not, not in, in our vineyard we do, but, um, but not in, not in other, other vineyards we work with. Um, you know, and, and I think a lot of it is, is having that connection to the, the grower, you know, in, in the vineyards that we work with and, um, you know, that relationship where you can, you can ask difficult questions if, if that's what needs to be asked and, um, and, and have a, have a great relationship. But it's so like to, to that point though, we, um, know a lot about both sides of the business. So we don't, there's, so it's true. Like Carl has the the final say in the vineyard. I have the final say in the winery, but with his background, he's a chemist. He's a soil. So he did his undergrad in chemistry at university of Arkansas and then masters in soils at go university of Idaho. Yeah. Go, yeah, go hogs. Um, <laughs> That's right. Go hogs. And, uh, and then I was up at U of I 
microbiology, microbiology, biochem, and then did my PhD at WSU in food science, which is um, just cover for like the wine enology program. So if ever we go back to prohibition or something, I'm a food scientist. You can make cheese. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can make something else. Yeah, I can just change my spots. So don't even say um, those words about. No, prohibition. I know it makes my skin go for all of it. But, uh, um, but we know. So we have both taken classes and in, in related parts to just not just viticulture but enology. Being both scientists, um, it's science no matter what, whether you're in the vineyard or the winery. So being a biologist and a chemist, both of us understanding all that, there is not any big decision that we're not collaborating on, like right. whether it be winemaking or viticulture. We, we know enough about both that he could make the wine, I could grow the grapes um, if maybe, we had to. Maybe we should try that one year. Oh, that would God. actually be... <laughs> it would, it would be interesting to like say, okay, this year, this one little, these rows of straw. I love that. What a great idea. And then I'm going to give you the grapes and you're going to make that wine. Well, you wore a shirt last night that was the wine project. Yeah. And I think, but what you, that wouldn't be something completely different. This is the wine project. This is Carl's baby and Coco's growing. But the thing is, is it's never like... There's never a clear line, you know? I mean, it's true. There's a bunch of crossover. There's so much crossover. I mean, we're out there in the vineyard together all the time. We never make, we would never make a contract decision with a new grower if both of us were on the same page and we'll go home and we play devil's advocate. I think that's probably our greatest strength as a couple is that we don't get angry when we play that devil's advocate because the greatest things come from that. If you don't ask the hard questions, if you don't push each other to, you know, think twice... So, I mean, I don't think I was talking to you guys about this last night, but definitely someone. Um, it's all kind of run together, but in the last eight days, I've made almost a thousand people through here. But, um, but I, I do believe that is why our wines are have done so well right. because there is this seamlessness between Carl and I, and both sides of the business. You can't be a good winemaker if you don't understand how to grow a good grape. How can any winemaker walk out in a block and be like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll contract for this. These, this is going to make amazing wine. And they'd never spend a day in a vineyard, right? you know, actually doing the work. And I think that's the power of having an estate vineyard is that we, and being so tiny, we are the worker bees. We pick the grapes. We prune the grapes. We are out there shoot thinning. We are doing all those things. We have help now, right? but to get the job done timely, there's an urgency and we have to go do it. Yeah, when like when you have to take care of a vineyard, you you year after year, you start to understand what what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And and when you see a vineyard that's not not working and likely won't be able to produce a, a great grape for wine, um, you can more easily identify that. Yeah, and um, it's different than just looking. So, for example, if you understand viticulture, maybe to some extent, but you're you're not regularly doing the work, that's right. a very different experience than actually having to spend days out there every year doing the work. Isn't it like an architect that's never been Swung in the a field? Yeah, <laughs> never um, hit a nail or yeah. shot it. Um, it's, it's exactly the same. Yeah, and I and I've always maintained uh, every architect should spend a, a year in the field. Just yeah, and, and things change and, too. 
rolling trusses or whatever it is, you know, (laughs) because when you're like, no, I want it to look like this, really, how are you going to build that? So (laughs) without that experience of actually getting your hands dirty, uh, you, you, you don't have that ability to call on that when you need that experience. Right. Well, and you can't give, you know, relevant advice or really a true collaboration with the grower because they're looking at you and they're like, you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) How would you know? You know? And so we've heard these absurd things. You don't feel my pains. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, you know what you're asking for more. (laughs) (laughs) Can't see the grapes. Can we just cut all this? Yeah. Take the canopy off. (laughs) See what that's going to bring you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and we see in these yeah. vineyards, um, you know, because we we work with growers um, out in the ba- out in the basin. We have friends that grow grapes that we don't even necessarily buy from, and you hear these absurd requests that winemakers make sometimes, and they're like, they're not possible, maybe <laughs> logistically, <laughs> or they're just not going to um, produce an outcome that they think. I guess it might work on paper, but we don't grow on paper. We grow outside. Like, I don't want any of the clusters touching. <laughs> no touching. I've heard that one before. We don't want skin rub on this. Uh, yeah. Like, they don't make babies. You know, they won't make more if they touch each other. Um, you That's can let- funny. <laughs> yes, well, this is my favorite white wine that you make. So um, how long have you been making the Albarano? I love it. It's so crisp. It's it's beautiful. Great structure. Super balanced and crisp, like you said. This is like the deck wine. <laughs> or boat wine. Or, you know, in December <laughs> when you just wanted something light, wine. Uh, right. Is it 2018? Was first vintage? Thir- this is the oh, third yeah, one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 18, mm-hmm. 19, and 20. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not a... It's a relatively new project for us, actually. And mm-hmm. it's changed a bit. Over the years, um, 18, it was more of a grapefruit character, um, just a blast of grapefruit in the glass. Last, um, then in 19, it was more of a tangerine. And this 2020 is just a big orange slice. It's yeah, that's really it, yeah, mm-hmm. soccer orange slice. Yeah, <laughs> halftime at a so- youth soccer game, big orange slice in your mouth. Or frozen grapes. Yeah. <laughs> now, do we yeah. have a, do we so have this a, is much like a, a, a fume, not a fume blanc, but a Sauvignon blanc, just for those who are listening. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. like Sauvignon blanc, oh, you'll, you'll love, love this. this. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. You know, I, I feel like it parallels Sauvignon blanc quite a bit um i feel like i my my thought is it's one step above sauvignon blanc actually but you know i like to say it's sauv blanc minus the cat pee yeah you know <laughs> yeah. it's so funny so your <laughs> uh, wine club manager that. sarah and i had this conversation she hates sauvignon blanc yeah, yeah, she, she does. does not like it at all and it's the cat i don't get the cat pee in it <laughs> And this might be the first Dave time we're, we're actually swearing on this po- podcast by saying P, P, P. P is not a swear word. <laughs> My mom a... just walked by. She'll validate that. <laughs> That's awesome. But, but the Albarino is so similar to a Sauvignon Blanc. And what you're saying, mm. Carl, is, you know, that's personal. That's a, you like the Albarino better than the Blanc because you have yeah. a... You have a personal connection with it, for one. You <laughs> produce it. Don't produce Sauvignon Blanc. I might be a little biased, right? Yeah, but that's okay. But that's okay. That's, that's, that's what makes wine great, is that we can have all of our own personal opinions, and then just make it right or wrong. It just mm-hmm. makes it 
hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, So should we get into the rosé? Wow, Coco. You're just really not. I'm still like, yeah, I'm just like, I am. I'm nursing it. Well, okay. So as Coco's going to get rid of the Alabrino in her glass, I will say this is the one wine you said gets you in trouble. It does get me in trouble. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to like be good right now and just I'm sniffing it, letting it warm up in my glass. I love, so, you know, unlike a lot of people, I mean, I like drinking my white wines essentially at room temp. Yeah. So yeah. I, I do this a lot where I kind of get the pour and then I sit there and kind of watch it and let it warm up. And Wasn't it this one you said you try to serve as chilled as possible? No, she no. tries to create it. No. Oh, oh no, gotcha. I, okay. Yeah, ferment it super okay. cold, there but I like go. to serve it at room temp. Gotcha. Um, but that's typical for me for like all the whites and rosé and everything. I just don't, it, the colder it is, the less you smell, exactly. the warmer it is, the more you smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you get yeah. to room temperature, then the notes start just blossoming, you know? So Yeah, yeah I love this. If you want. So <laughs> we sort of jumped right into some of the things that you do, but we didn't really ask you about your background. Yeah, the whole and story so and how this all came about. want to know a little about, about that. Do it, Carl. Do it. How it came to be. Tell yes. them about us. How do we do it? <laughs> what? How did it all once happen? Once upon a time. Okay, settle uh, in. Uh, once upon a time. Take a stretch. Settle into your chair with your wine. We'll tell you a bedtime story. <laughs> so, yes. Settle back with that glass of Syrah or Albarino or Rosé or whatever that you grabbed from the Clearwater Canyon portfolio of wines and listen to how... The Umagers oh. came to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I have no wine in my glass. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, okay. Rose. Well, it might be time Here, for the rosé. I'll, I'll pour you the story. Oh. Rosé time. Thank you. So how did, how did we start this madness, Carlos? <laughs> madness. Uh, well, I think it probably, it, it started up in Moscow, Idaho, actually, where we met. Um, well, we didn't actually meet in Moscow. I guess we met at a bike race in Yakima, Washington. And, um, you guys were both riding. We were both bike racers. Um, I was riding for, um, university of Idaho at the time. And, um, and Coco was, um, coming up to the university, um, to, to school. Yeah. And, um, she was currently in high school. And so, I was gonna say. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you said it, not me. <laughs> and uh, so she couldn't drink yet, but <laughs> um, but I knew a cute guy that could. <laughs> so we we did became. Carl, did Carl find out about that? Uh, it was very awkward. So um, we yeah at the bike race we met at in high, when I was in high school. I mean that was like the beginning and end of it right there for a minute. He's I think it was like, the summer before you went to college. It was yeah. you had graduated. Well, you can believe that. <laughs> it was not in the summer. It was before the end of high school, honey. But that's okay. So you will let <laughs> us know on any of these sensitive things that there may be a disagreement on, which I need to pull out of the episode, <laughs> no. so as to not to you know force any ill will between you guys. No, it is fine. <laughs> um, we actually have never bothered to go and like fact check <laughs> that meeting because it's too fun to debate about it, actually. Well, there you go. You have but to fact check the fact checkers anyway. True. Yeah. yeah. And how would we fact check? I don't know. Maybe we could do that. But um, 
but yes. Um, yeah, so we got to know each other. Um, she ended up racing on the, the U of I um, bike racing team. And, um, and so we became good friends and trained together and, um, kind of one thing led to another and, you know, we were both scientists and, and we started to think, well, what happens when we graduate and have to get a job Mm -hmm. and, and we saw a lot of our, our friends who were also scientists, you know, um, one one of the couples would get a job in like East coast and one would get a job on the West coast. You know, you, you likely wouldn't be together. Mm. And, and so we thought, well, you know, what can we do where, where we can stay together? And, 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 and actually, ideally we'd like to work on something together. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, we did, even in the beginning, um, before the winery, um, since he is seven years older than I am and was in grad school, and I was like this buddy and scientist starting up. I think it's six and a half. Oh, God. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. wow. This is, see, this is a side of Carl we've not seen. Yeah. <laughs> this is fantastic. Touché. Touché is correctly a um, 6.5 shay. I don't know. God. Um, but, like... I, so I was starting to, you know, get deep into chemistry and all this stuff with my double major and, um, and Carl and I really did a great job. Like I could go to him and ask him questions. And a lot of couples have a challenge with that, where if I was, I was struggling with chemistry when I started in on inorganic chemistry and he had a chemistry degree and I was like, can you help me? Yeah. And a lot of times that does not work for a couple. They can do a lot of things, but to, to help in that way can be really emotional and contentious, but we never had that problem. He could sit down with me with my chemistry and teach me. And even when I was struggling to understand what he was saying, I wouldn't get pissed off at him. I could, I could learn. And, um, so he essentially helped me through chemistry and, um, and then I just took off and I loved it. And when I went into... And then she became smarter than me. (laughs) Which is always the case. (laughs) The student and the teacher. Which which is always the case. (laughs) Just saying. But, yeah, it, um, it, you know, it that I think was a motivator too, that we saw that we could work together on a project and, and, um, had that desire to be together. We knew that we could do it and not have it tear us apart. So many people come in like, how do you guys work together like 24 seven and not freak out? (laughs) We rarely fight. Um, the only thing that has ever caused us to fight. Can you guess it's winery? We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out. No, (laughs) Um, what is it? Can you guess? has to be the taste of the wine. It's no. got to be finances. Mm-hmm. That's the no. only thing I think. Was it? Money. Never, never money. No. We've really? Never okay, so seriously. Cats what? versus dogs. Um, no, we're both cat lovers. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have nothing. I got nothing. What do you think out there? Podcast land. Podcast land. <laughs> <laughs> well, the final answer. Drum roll, please. Carl? It was the label. The label. Really? <laughs> oh, so, so this is actually, a, I, I love this label. I am I am going out on a limb. Oh, I am going out on a limb, and I'm actually 
I'm gonna say, do you do you have an idea whose label they decided on? It seems somewhat masculine. That's what I was gonna say as well. So, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> just very so well done. you guys all know this, she almost threw a cork at Carl's head. At Carl's head. Give <laughs> <laughs> her five more minutes, and it may very well happen. <laughs> the original label was a mashup of both of us. Okay. Which, yeah, which is similar yeah. to what this one is, and we did not fight about that original label. But after 15 years of business, we decided to go and redo the label, refresh it, and that incited some fighting between us because it's not scientific. It's not financial. You can't crunch the numbers. You can't <laughs> apply Very any subjective. scientific reasoning yeah. to it. Right. There's no calculation. But doesn't that go back to Carl? You're saying I, I much prefer an Albarino over Sauvignon Blanc. That, that we're talking personal, mm-hmm. personal. Uh, yeah, it's true. Opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at least when it came comes to the winemaking, like we may have a difference of opinion, although we we taste very similarly. Like what we prefer is oftentimes right on the same plane together, which is is not yeah. super unusual from selling wine to people, to sure. couples. A lot of times couples will have this a similar... Uh, Shelly and I have very similar palate as well, I think. When say. you mm-hmm. see that not happen, it's sometimes an outlier. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there that will say, like, I don't have very different tastes than my husband or wife or whatever, but um, we see commonality a lot. So we don't... And, and if we disagree, I'm the winemaker. And he does not fight me on it. Yeah. Like, I'm like, well, you know, I, I'll think really hard about that. <laughs> but I disagree. Let, let, let me think about that. Nope, still going no, this yeah. way. But yeah. I did think about it. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, there's a lot of times where we end up on the same page. I make the wine that we both really loved. And sometimes I will disagree on it. Um, but it's not a fight and I'll, it'll cause, it'll be cause for pause for me and I'll yeah. really linger on that. But sometimes I choose differently and that's just the way it goes. Same in the vineyard. We'll have a difference of opinion of how to manage something and we'll go back and forth. And he's like, you know, I really think we need to do it this way because I'm like, okay. I can just see. It's you know, easy to the, let go of it. The, you guys are out and you crack open a grape, grape in your taste. And I was like, this is crap. How am I supposed to make wine with this? <laughs> it never Come happens on, that Carl. way. Yeah. I need better grapes than this, Carl. <laughs> so your rosé label is actually a little different. Yeah. And there again, um, on that, it was like the first design. Um, uh, so we've never done a rosé before we did that label for the rosé. <laughs> and that was not contentious. It was the redo of our original Clearwater Canyon label that caused difficulty because there was no... Which surprisingly, there's not a... It was a redo, but it wasn't a drastic change. No. It's like how Pepsi's subtly changed through the years. But if you look at an old Pepsi label and a new Pepsi label, you can still still tell it's Pepsi. There's a continuity. Um, But Carl's vision for the redo more or less is the one that's stuck and it was how does that make you feel coco (laughs) um i had to eat some crow how does that make you feel it's a beautiful label thank you and i love (laughs) i really do love where it turned out i love the label too um it was hard for me to let go of where i thought it was gonna go it's a growing experience though right and then carl has been fairly good about not rubbing it in, rubbing it in my face. 
Um, he's also come in for the save a couple times on um, like some of our marketing, which is funny because I'm the one who usually heads that up a little bit with Sarah, our right. wine club manager. And we'll be like scratching our heads over something. And then Carl will like walk past the, the desk and like look at it for a second. And he's like, well, why don't you do that? And we've been working on it for like three hours. <laughs> and we're like, can I swear on this thing? Um, <laughs> dang it. Um, he's right. <sighs> you can say shit if you really want. Okay. I, I mean, I have do. a sailor, so I try not to, but. You've been really good the last few days. It's because I've been in a public situation. So we're in spring <laughs> release right now. And we've had like a thousand people through the winery. And I've been trying not to swear. And it's and hard on me. It's okay. <laughs> uh. I am so enjoying this. I can't even, I, I can't stand it. It is so much fun. We have three more wines to get through. <laughs> yes, we haven't even talked about the rosé. Uh, yes. Ugh. Which which so has good. a good story, too. It's so good. Um, so you take your rosé very seriously. <laughs> very seriously. Everything is serious. Do not <laughs> mess around here. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. I love all these, but they're like my kids. So um, this is a steak-grown rosé of Syrah. We grow certain sections of our estate Syrah blocks. We have two specifically for this rosé. And it sounds crazy when you have like two blocks of Syrah over 6.5 acres. So obviously our blocks are <laughs> small. Yeah. They're, um, they're one-acre blocks. So we have a two-acre blocks of Syrah. And they actually are, are quite different in terms of how they're facing. One is more of a north okay. facing and one is a little bit more of an east facing slope. So that's interesting. So I was going to ask how different can the soil and the terroir actually be so close, but you just mentioned. Soil is different. Or, I'm sorry. Soil is very um, uniform really right. across Umaker Vineyard. But, but when you face the sun a different way. The topography yeah. is different for that newer block of of straw that planting is kind of a more like northeast facing where the other one's a true north Interesting. Um, we're on a real subtle slope so you don't really have any shading um the vines are running north south so the sun comes up over the east side of the vine and then sets on the west and it um gets great sunlight on both sides of the vine which is perfect yeah um mm -hmm. but you know we identify um a little block of the within the old block and a little block within the new block of Syrah oh. and manage them for this rosé and basically just let the, there's a few things you do, but um, the, the most important is letting that canopy billow out. So you get that filtered kind of dappled sunlight right. you know, on the grapes and um, we pick it early. This is an acid driven rosé. So it's bone dry. It is dry. Is there um, any RS on this at all? Nope. Okay. No RS. It's just a hair less acidic than the Albarino. God, so it's like 3.1 pH where the Albarino is three. Okay. So they're both, you know, cleaning your teeth, um, <laughs> de um, taking the, the enamel off your teeth a little bit. So, um, just an hour on the skin. So it's just got this really, um, light pink kind of, yeah, um, ballet slipper pink. Be, and so Shelly will resonate with that, being the ballerina she is. Are you? I danced a, oh, a wow. long time ago. Oh, great. Never go up but on then, point now, that would crush your toes. Probably. And then oh, when I yeah. was like my late 40s, I broke my foot doing entre chicots and twisted over and had um, 
spiraled fast. Oh my gosh. So I calmed yeah. down after that. <laughs> <laughs> Out of what yeah. you say, necessity. <laughs> wow. wow. So this is, is absolutely delicious. Uh, it's so it funny. Is, yeah. I think all of these wines that we're tasting through today, we purchased yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And then, that was yesterday, and then last night we we purchased the uh, oh did I I didn't write it down. Here the we go. Yeah, the Loxa. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I bought two bottles of that as well last night. So, so I was wondering what happened with Rosalie because Rosalie only wants your Chardonnay and she can't see it in the name Chardonnay. I'm like, well, she know that's the same. <laughs> uh, Rosalie is one Rosalie of their uh, uh, wine club members that are also wine club members at the Culinary Stone. Mm -hmm. And we see her and Stormy around town, oddly enough, at every wine venue. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> They're so cute. They are the best. And uh, Stormy wanted to know when this is going to be published, so I was going to send him a, a link. I saw him. And now he gets a shout-out. So <laughs> Rosalie and Stormy, we love you. You get a shout-out. That's fantastic. But uh, how many wine club members do you guys have? It's a secret. <laughs> so can you give, is it, is it higher than a thousand and lower, lower than a thousand one hundred? No. She's just going to answer no to everything. I should never have yes. given a higher number. I no. should have higher yes. than one thousand. It's a lot. Because so you had a thousand people through. That kind of gives a little indication here in the last few days. Over, yeah. um, over half of our wine club lives outside of 40 miles of here. That's fantastic. Good for you guys. That's I'll fantastic. I'll give you that little fact. And also that um, we're super grateful that about... 90% of our wine now is sold to our wine club. So wow. we haven't capped the club yet, but we're close. Really? Um, so will you actually... We're at a quandary because... Do we produce mm -hmm. more wine or right. do we cap it? Yeah. And I'm not sure I don't know that, that that's really... a quandary so much. I mean, we have... It, Ooh, it, it's it, fight number two. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, no, he's, he's on the same page. Like, we would... Um, so we're making between 4,000 and 4,500 cases a yeah, year. Yeah, that's a... Um, depending say. on the vintage because we contract by the acre and so you okay. kind of ride the wave with the sure, growers. Sure. Um, I think we both agreed that, you know, 5,000 cases is probably something we could pull off and we could do in this building. We built the winery for 5,000 cases. Gotcha. But I don't think either one of us has any desire to go be beyond that. It's so, a yeah. completely different uh, sustainability model when you, when you uh, cap out at 5,000 and say, okay, let's take to the next step. That's a... It's another risk, right? Sure. Just for uh, sure. scaling I mean, that and... I mean, I think we would continue to like probably grow slowly if it, we did. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think we have any... We like being intimate with the wine. That's the right word. Yeah, um, yeah, no. That, what are you, you doing know? with the wine when I'm not around? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, Hashtag inquiring minds. <laughs> now I'm... Feeling slightly uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> um, I think we know from having been in the industry long enough now and talking to so many um, sage veterans that have retired from the industry, it has been a very clear message. Even the economic experts in the wine industry will tell you there is some crazy break point that happens right around 5,000 cases. Interesting. Well, yeah, Constellation comes knocking on your door for one thing. <laughs> Probably. Well, you become more reliant. Uh, I mean, it. you can grow the club to the point. I mean, our club is 
essentially absorbing all of it mm. and how much more really is it 45 to 5,000, but how much intimacy can you have? Like, this is going to sound even creepier with your club members. No, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, don't do it. Um, but like, we know these people, um, this weekend is a great example. So to fit everyone in that's local and willing to travel here, we've been going for eight days, crazy hours. Um, these seated tastings where we, regardless of COVID, we just don't want to have any more in the room at the time. Cause we want to get around and say hi to everybody. I was going to say, yeah. because you guys both do a great job of visiting mm-hmm. virtually every table They're and, a family. Having, and having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a quote obligation, but there's, it shouldn't be an obligation. It should be something that you want to do. Yeah. yeah. Because Definitely. this is, who's keeping you guys afloat is your, <laughs> they got us here. Yeah. Right. And so exactly. Yeah. So there's gratitude and just the whole idea of thanking them. And I think yeah. I'm guessing people really like that one-on-one and it also relates into that bottle. You know? So even if we could, let's say grow the club to absorb, you know, 10,000 cases, which is not the case right now. Um, I don't know how we would manage that in the way that we want to do it, even, you know, and right now, um, the wine is made by us. Mm. Nobody ever touches the wine, but me in terms of like adding, blending, any decision making, topping, I top the barrels with the help of Carl or Mike. Um, nothing happens to that wine. And we bottle it too. And we bottle it on site. Our team, (laughs) we don't have a, truck coming in doing that um there is no moment nothing that has ever happened to that wine that i didn't do myself we're, we're kind of control freaks i mean you have to be, <laughs> Which is I, I was gonna say you have to be in to this you have to be I, yeah. I look there's some you'll sacrifice some quality if you grow bigger too fast right yeah yeah. yeah, there are a number of wines that have been bought by bigger, you know, like I said, Constellation, that they now want that wine to cover this demographic that they don't, their portfolio doesn't cover. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to lose some of, a lot in many cases. So that control is a good thing. And I think it goes beyond that, too. Um, it's not just that. It's the fact that, like, when you have more wine, you have more to you have you have the logistics that is challenging you bigger tanks bigger pumps more work um mm-hmm. more work more barrels to top more 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 but of everything you don't so and and you may have to have more labor more bigger team all these things that you end up dumping your time on and right now we're kind of focused on trying to make the 4500 cases or so that we're making the we're trying to make the easy stuff that should be easy, even easier, like compliance. Um, let's say if I want to move tank a wine from tank A to tank B or barrel to tank, making that as seamless and gentle on the wine as possible. Like we just upgraded our air compressor system here so that I'm not waiting on the air compressor when I'm trying to get something done quickly. Well, time that, is money. And it, it does affect the wine yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But the more time you can save from just, you know, talking with, a million distributors and stuff like that, you can sink into being creative with the wine. So there's comes a point where if you make a ton of wine, 
you were focused on just pulling off that wine the best you can for the size that you are. Whereas right now we're starting to get hours back in our day and I'm able to be very experimental with the wines. And I'm, this release, as you guys heard yeah. last night, I've done some crazy shit with these wines. Yeah. You know, I have been able to really dive deep and experiment with new techniques, um, get creative in ways that you cannot do if you don't have the brain space. And time goes so quick. And we all know this as we mm. get older, days just sweat fly by and you have these bright ideas <laughs> at 3 a.m. and you can't, May, act, you, you know? can't act on it. Yeah. So we're able to act on some of that and our greatest asset as a team is our deep understanding of science and Carl can do different things out in the vineyard and experiment. He's doing that all the time. You get bigger, you don't have time for that. Right. right. You just got to do it the best you can the way you know you can't like push outside the box. You know that song? The one that's one of the best songs you've ever heard in your life, but nobody else knows? Yeah, us too. The Greatest Song You've Never Heard podcast brings you a weekly song, the story behind it, and some background as to why that song might not be more well-known. I'm Chris Coffert, one of the hosts of The Greatest Song You've Never Heard, and for most of my life, I've been collecting music from every genre imaginable, every style you can think of, well, except modern country. I hate modern country. Hank Williams Sr., fantastic. Furland Husky, freaking amazing, but I digress. I built up a massive library of music and most of it doesn't suck. So one day I asked my buddy Phil, host of the Wine Time Friday podcast, hey, what if we did a podcast featuring those songs that we love, but nobody else has ever heard of and that we think are incredible, but most of our friends don't know. Thus was born the greatest song you've never heard podcast. Join us each week, wherever you get your podcast, and hear us as we surprise each other with a song that one of us feels is the greatest song you've never heard. And that brings up another question that you had mentioned last night, and if you want this part to be cut out, that's fine, but you had mentioned you wanted to limit the people that were in your vineyard, number one, because of COVID, mm. and number two, because yeah. there had been some phy- phylloxera here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you were to grow bigger, you would have more people mm. in the vineyard as well. Yeah. Right. So we don't have phylloxera in our vineyard currently. Um, and, and I don't know how much people know about that, but um, phylloxera has kind of reared its ugly head here in the Northwest. So there's a lot of phylloxera being discovered now in Pacific Northwest vineyards all over. You know, Which is scary. It is scary. Columbia Valley, Walla Walla. But not Carmenere out of Bordeaux. <laughs> right. You know? right. Well, yeah, yeah, it killed the entire European industry for a little yeah. while. Right. So um, right now the Pacific Northwest is reacting to that. Luckily it's coming to us several hundred years later um, <laughs> than it did hit you know the rest of the world right. basically. And so there's a lot of tools in the toolbox to right. deal with it. Right. But yeah, so because of that, it spreads. It's a little bug and it spreads on people's shoes and equipment and stuff like that. So currently we are not letting anyone in the vineyard except our little team of four. So, which answers the question why you didn't want us to have a picture in the vineyard yesterday (laughs) with a glass of wine. We can go by the vineyard and near the vineyard. Um, I think it's a good thing to, you know, for people to understand. It's not a bad practice really when you think about it. it. No, it's important to understand. And there's, um, from the customer standpoint, I think um, we're going to have to do a really good job communicating this challenge to our club 
come summer and, and in the years to come so that they understand why it's not like, I just don't want you in the vineyard. Like I can't, there's an education aspect. I can't because yeah. you may have, mm-hmm. um, walked through your friend's yard and they have a grapevine there that's infected and it's on your shoes now. And when we ask you the question, have you been in a vineyard this week? And they're like, no, they have been in someone's backyard and they didn't realize and it's on their shoe. And so the infinite number of ways it could spread to here are like impossible to control for. So we just can't let sure. people in. Uh, while Carl maybe pours the next wine, mm-hmm. uh, I would like to find out because Coco, you mentioned uh, your new releases are very much like elections yes. and precincts. <laughs> so... Um, you got to get nervous going into these uh, releases, don't you? Because this We're is... We're excited. Well, uh, yeah. It's a little both. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of excitement. It's also um, nerve nervous. I'm also very nervous because I am being really creative with these wines. And any, like an artist who's spent, you know, years preparing for a show which essentially is what this is. We spent right. years making these wines. Right. In some cases they're, you know, we have 18s being released in their, this vintage in 2020, you know, and, and here we are in 2021. So yeah. years in the making. Right. And you release these works of art to a group of people you're hoping are going to love the current piece. <laughs> right. And yeah. And so the proof is in what they buy, you know, they can hope, you know, you, you hope they're giving you the, the true feedback as you walk around. They're like, wow, I really love these. But, um, the truth is in on the, you know, what do they end up buying usually is the true tell of what they really love. And so every night of the release, we're looking on the point of sale system to see which wine is winning that precinct. So each seating, <laughs> we think of every, every, every day basically is a precinct coming in <laughs> to see like which right. wine was the winner of the day. And what you like to see is that change from day to day. And you like to see that no one of, so we have nine new releases for this spring release. You want to see that there's not a huge disparity between what's like the wines, that it's close. It's a close race. Are you finding that to be true? This, yeah, for this release, it's been really great. And there's a couple that I was like kind of nervous about. Yeah. Um, So nice surprises there. Yeah, like risky wines, like the Waha. We did a non-vintage, crazy wine. Yeah, five different vintages in that? Five vintages blended within this wine. It's wild, and it's been rocking. And it is a crazy different like profile. I love it. Carl loves it. We were on the same page on that one. Um, And it's fun to see people... You know, it's it, that's and, right in the running with the rest. And this mm-hmm. is the one where you're using newer leaves to sift through the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, so you would say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm using like um, so it's a 2015 wine, and um, each year that's passed, I have actually um, pumped it through the leaves of the newest vintage coming in the cellar. So I've done it like a sur lees with it, but a sur lees with a wine through another wine's lees. Um, it's just, really it. it's <laughs> just fascinating. It's super weird. Um, for, you know, five vintages, now it's blended. Wow. And then now just finally released. So it's a pretty fantastic wine. So in that tasting notes, 
Um, you didn't mention what you really tasted. In oh, that that's profile. true. Yeah, you had the you profile had mentioned on what was a in number there, of but the wines, but what not are, that one. What did you get out of that? Out of that, um, the Waha. The Waha. Yeah, Waha. Thank you. Whew, Even uh, though we're not drinking. Yeah, we're not drinking that one right, right now, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> it was cherry, right? Yeah, there's a lot of cherry character in it. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like the the super yummy dark maraschino cherries that you put in a kick-ass Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> or a Coke. <laughs> uh, so, um, it is so layered. So sometimes my favorite wines are the hardest ones for me to describe. Did you call that a kaleidoscope? Um, it definitely is a kaleidoscope. It's so layered. There's a little sweet tobacco, um, maybe kind of a dark licorice character in there. Um, the chair, the dark, like maraschino cherry, the really yummy ones. And, um, it just changes so much, um, with five vintages and that much time. Um, it is the most fun of all the wines to drink with food and, Kind of just sit over an evening. Let's yeah. talk about this Syrah then. Yeah, we're not exactly. <laughs> Carl, this is your baby. You talk about it. <laughs> I just have to say before you get into this. Is this, this your took, favorite? This, right? is, this is. This took me probably four minutes to sip yesterday. <laughs> now, yesterday morning when we tried this, it blew me away. Last night, it changed. Now, you had mentioned sometimes it's just the mood and the ambiance and stuff like that. It's just like evolved and in a day. And you've tasted too much wine. And there was a lot of wine tasting yesterday, but this thing took me four minutes to actually taste because the nose on this is unbelievable. <laughs> just sat Thank there you. and smelled it. Yes. That's awesome. It's remarkable. So yeah, tell us about your baby. This is great stuff. <laughs> well, uh, so Syrah is the, the leading grape that we grow here at Emaker Vineyard and Clearwater Canyon. Um, we have two acres of it, uh, two two separate blocks and, um, and, and they're very different. So, um, so we can kind of pick and choose depending on the year of right. where, where we want to pull the, the Syrah from, um, to, to go into the estate Syrah. And, um, and this one is, uh, it's from the, the new block, right? Um, the 19 is, Primarily from the new block, yeah. which was really yeah. surprising to see the new the new kids the new kids rising to the rose up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're yeah. here too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This would literally be the new kids on the block <laughs> for reals. <laughs> yeah. For reals. And the first time the new block um, has been the estate Syrah. Mm -hmm. um, it's been going yep. into the Renaissance right up until now. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the stressing of the grapes by by making roots go searching for water. Uh, is is that something that you need to do here, or is that something that all vineyards do? I, that's something that all vineyards do, okay. um, or should do, <laughs> if they want to make good wine. Um, it's very important to do that. Um, and, and why is that and, important? Um, it just, there's something about it that... Um, the fruit just does not develop right when you have that consistent like um moisture in the soil throughout the year and and there's no no real stress applied to the vine um you know and and there's certain times of the year when you don't want to have that stress like okay. around bloom time okay um, so almost where the, we are right now in a sense but, yeah, like the early part of the year, um, you know, the vines have just come out of dormancy yeah. and they're growing and, um, and up until about 
June, mid-June or so, um, you want to have fairly little stress. But then then things need to get rough. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Interesting. Um, and this would be for all varietals? Just reds? Yeah, um, pretty much. I mean, you, you go a little lighter on some, but certainly, you know, um, like the white varieties, you you might make a little more happy than, okay. than stressed out. Um, Syrah is one of those kind of middle of the road a little bit. Um, you know, some of these varieties you can really, really pull back on the water. Um, Syrah, you kind of have to give it a, a little, you know, keep keep giving it little little bits of water. Gotcha. Um, to kind of keep it happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just enough where they're 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 not going to to give it up. Um, you know, you're you're keeping the leaves happy. Yeah. Um, but 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 the vine's not growing anymore. Um, certainly by you know by mid to end of, end of July, you want that growth to pretty much stop. And, yeah. Um, and and that's really what's gonna what's gonna bring your your nice fruit flavors and your and your sugar levels and and the and to get the balance between the the acid and the in the grape and the sugars. I'm I'm really I've got, like I said I've got a lot of questions for you. Like the Missoula floods has that does that have any effect on this AVA at all? Uh, definitely on the AVA. Um, not so much right on our vineyard. Okay, gotcha. we are so the the AVA ranges from seven hundred feet. At the very bottom of the valley to um, to the two thousand foot, essentially the two thousand foot limit. It's close to two thousand feet. Seven hundred twenty-five feet. Oh, twenty-five feet. <laughs> just kidding. No, seven hundred twenty-five. <laughs> I'm just being a turd. I'm just kidding. Are you sure? Right. Six feet. All right. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, I'm maybe not, not but quite I'm... as low as seven hundred. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm really not. Kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's seven hundred twenty-five feet and three and a half inches. So they're just. Yeah. <laughs> Give or take a millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Sorry. But so so the Missoula floods came in um, to this valley and and it was a little it was different than than what went on in most of Washington, where you had that scouring effect of the floods just kind of washed through. Right. This was more of like a backwater like pulled sediment up into this valley. Wow, okay. And just kind of so it it wasn't like, I mean, I'm sure it was scouring in, in you know, sure. anytime you have a flood that large, <laughs> but, but it was, it was also that kind of like backwater up in and then it drained back out. And so, um, so that was about, um, that happened up to, you know, the bottom of the valley to about 1200 feet or so. And the vineyard here is about 1350. Okay. So gotcha. we're just above that. And, um, and what that means is the the flood sediments left um, sand and gravels behind, and took all that lust, the fine silt loam, flushed most of that back out. Right. And so above above that flood level, you have this great kind of pollute like soil. Interesting. You know, silt loam soil, um, which is usually relatively deep deep soils. And so the whole um, Missoula flood phenomenon that's really made Washington wines very unique because of that. Mm -hmm. And some of this AVA 
unique in a different way because you said the, I, I want to just say backwash, but it's... That's what I call it. <laughs> backwash. We can uh, use that term. <laughs> but uh, you guys will uh, not necessarily see that. So you're going to be, uh, have some separation from the other vineyards around here, which is what makes Toar so fascinating. Interesting, yeah. yeah. So yeah. two of the vineyards, so we, we pull about um, 40% of our fruit from our vineyard, 40 to 50%, depending on the year. Um, another 20 to 30% of it comes from um, two vineyards in the in the Elsie Valley, one in Clarkston, one down on the Grand Ronde, and they're below this 1,200 foot mark. So they're down in the where the flood waters affected. So, so they still, have the sandy, gotcha. the sandy rocky, um, sandy loam mixed with shattered rock situation in their soils where we have that wind blown. So all the soil here arrived here by the wind. So that um yeah. that loam that got flushed down to Portland got blown back here by the wind. <laughs> and it wow. landed here in the Palouse Quite up, the up above the twelve hundred. <laughs> and then um I think just for you know something people might be more familiar with, in the Walla Walla Valley, that whole Milton Freewater area is upper uh, up above that 1200 foot mark it's a, interesting it's at 1300 feet and above and um that like seven hills vineyard um mm-hmm. savane pepper bridge their main blocks they're all in the same windblown lust it's specifically i learned this from carl called the olefant series of soil <laughs> yeah, not an elephant yeah. but an olefant well, Carl is that's, the soil scientist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's the specific soil that we have here in our vineyard. Isn't that so, great? Yeah. Then tell us about the effects of the fires. You were talking about how oh, you yeah. distilled some of your grapes. <laughs> yeah. We did. You know, it's kind of a sad thing. You know, when you've worked so hard in a vineyard and with the growers to produce this incredible vintage and then something out of your control, totally out of your control. Um, it definitely underscores some things of like, so people often ask like, are we ever going to be a hundred percent estate grown? And I always say no, because that's all your eggs in one basket. It's all your eggs in one basket. If the fire comes here, um, (laughs) it is going to, um, knock us out. If we have, I mean, so for example, so in 2015, um, Grizzly Complex fire was a big deal here in this area. Um, the fire came, the smoke settled into one of the three vineyards we work with. We were affected by the fire everywhere. The smoke was here, but the smoke was particularly bad in one of the three vineyards we work with locally and had no effect on the vineyards we work with out in the greater Washington area. Fast forward to 2020. 2020, the fires were terrible along the West Coast. It actually affected... One of the vineyards we work with in the Columbia Valley had no effect here. Right. And we work with, um, see Crawford. Well, I mean, about four vineyards out in the Columbia Valley. Um, and one of them, one block in one of those vineyards, we could detect smoke taint. Mm. The rest of them were fine. No effect here. And so we've had a year where we had a terrible hail storm. It knocked, out fifty percent of the fruit in yeah, one vineyard, wow. one mm-hmm. vineyard in the LC Valley. Not all the vineyards in the LC Valley. We had hail here, but it was of no effect. They got smacked with it. So 
pays to diversify yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you, there's a give and take on that. I mean, Just you, like social media. It <laughs> really does. Don't go all your eggs on, on Twitter. And That's right. Exactly. And there's your social media tip for the week. <laughs> Thank right? you, Shelly Webb. We used to do a social media tip, and she's like, now let's stop doing that. <laughs> makes no sense for a wine podcast. Why not? That's what we do. Uh, how about burying cane? Mm-hmm. Oh, for the winters? Yeah, I know in Walla that Walla, like Bob Piano really does difficult. that. Well, just because they get, <laughs> uh, like they said, every seven years, they're going to get a, a really bad cold stretch that will actually kill off their vines. And now they're right. three to four years rebuilding that up instead of burying that cane. And if it doesn't happen, you just snip it off and off you go. But if it does, then you're not losing the three to four years or longer. You're losing maybe one to two years. Uh, you don't have to do any of that up here. No, I, you know, I think, I think there, when you said 1300, some feet or whatever, I was thinking, started thinking, you know, colder temps, maybe sometimes. You think that, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, but, but the elevation doesn't necessarily tell the whole story because, you know, you need that, especially in the Northwest, you need cold air drainage and that is the name of the game. Mm -hmm. And, um, why the windmills, right? Or the, the, um, the windmills to move that air? Oh yeah, the the air fans. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Is that um, what, that helps with the the, the air that drainage? The, okay. Yeah, that pulls the cold air and and puts it up in the sky or shoots it in another direction. Yep, just gets it um, moving. Yeah, it gets the circulation. Um, but but that's a extreme, you know, extremely important up here. Maybe not so as important down in California and a, a warmer climate. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, certainly, you know, so what that means is that, you know, where you place your vineyard is critical. Right. Um, so yeah, if you, if you end up placing it in a, a lower spot, um, that doesn't drain, then, then yeah, you can definitely expect to probably, maybe you would have to bury your vines. Yeah. The name um, of the game on the variety. essentially is you don't want to be the highest spot or the lowest spot. Actually, you can be the highest spot if that highest spot isn't going to have the extreme cold. Right. So in the Walla Walla Valley, most of the vineyards on the base of that valley have significant um, winter kill periodically. Yeah. I think the, the vineyard you speak of in Bapiano, um, it's on the base of the valley. So all the cold air comes off Milton Freewater at the 1,300 feet and above, mm. comes rolling in, and then just sits in that valley. It does. And I fries know. those vineyards. Yeah. So over the years, we've seen that. Um, you know, we've been growing since 2003, and I don't know how many times we've seen the Walla Walla, the floor of the Walla Walla Valley have significant damage. But the great news for them is that you go up there on the hill slopes around that valley, like up in the Milton Freewater area, mm at 1300 feet and above you have all this ground below you. So that cold air rolls on through, it doesn't sit on you mm. and you're in good shape. And so I don't think they have any issue up there. Um, like at pepper bridge and the Savane and all right. those places up there, um, on mm-hmm. that slope and in, in the Milton free water area. I don't, I don't, I've never heard of anybody burying canes up there. Interesting. I, I had never even heard of it at all until they walked through that whole idea of well, Barry Keynes and, and and they that was a um I believe a historical practice here. Mm. Um, you know, that was brought in from uh I believe Germany. Um the German immigrants that settled this valley. 
um, and, and elsewhere in the Northwest. Uh, and German family yeah. right across the street. Um, the Armstrong family grew a vineyard back when my grandfather was a kiddo. Is that right? Um, and he remembered them burying canes. Isn't that what? something? Uh, but they were from Germany. That's what you did. Right, right. Um, yeah. But we've never needed that here for the same reason that sure. you know, the Milton Free Water area doesn't need it. If you're on the base of the valley floor, then you may have, like, actually, we, we used to work with a vineyard that was right on the river um, up near Orfino. And, you know, they were, you'd think right on the river, they would be maybe a little bit more spared from, from cold, yeah. but they had a bigger, you know, challenge with it than we did up here. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. Well, we are coming to the end. We have one more uh, wine to taste through. And Shelly's mm-hmm. going to hand mm-hmm. me her glass again. <laughs> Hammer it. <laughs> and then I'm going to uh, trust you to drive home. We'll have lunch somewhere. <laughs> we'll have lunch somewhere. We'll have lunch at another winery. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, uh, we have no food for you here. <laughs> you do we not had, have a restaurant. We had delightful food last night. It was delicious, and a, a, we didn't know what to expect. By the way, thank you again very much for inviting us to your uh, club release yeah. uh, oh, event. Was it was fantastic. It just uh, it, it's it's an occasion for your wine club members yeah. to be able to come and and do this. How many release yeah. uh, events do you do a year? Two. It's just two, two just releases a year. Spring, one fall. Yeah, one spring, one yeah. fall. They come and select their. Uh, so we give everyone the choice, so they can select what they want for their release. Um, and then outside of the spring and fall releases, we do a barrel tasting, mm-hmm. usually in February, and a dinner in July. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah, good. That's fantastic. Uh, Coco, mm-hmm. I I know that you said that uh, Carl is. Uh, soil scientist and you are the doctor of wine Mm -hmm. uh and you also call carl the vine whisperer Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh i love all of these little um nicknames because it shows the fun that you have with your wine i get the sense that you you guys here are building something that is much like (laughs) This is going to sound like you're filling some big shoes, but much like what Mondavi did down in, in Napa during back in the day, finding a region that's fantastic and kind of pulling everybody else along with them. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, you guys, we can do this. Yep. And we don't even have to compete. Right. We can actually do this together. Uh, we're doing an episode mm-hmm. here in two weeks about the judgment in Paris. Oh, nice. And because of the 24th, uh, anniversary or whatever. Yeah, I've got that know? on the calendar somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it's May twenty fourth. By the way, we will be uh, doing that. We are doing Chateau Montalena Chardonnay and the Stag's Leap <laughs> uh, Cab. And so it, it's that whole mindset of we are all in this together. Uh, you know, rising tide raises mm-hmm. all the ships. That sort of thing. It wasn't that Chateau Montalena. Uh, it was all about them. It was that they're that representing that region. Exactly. Yeah. Do you guys feel a little bit of that? Uh, oh, here man. With you guys? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, you know, when Carl and I started this oh God, back this in 2004, <laughs> we're drinking, so sorry. So the, we're drinking the reserve, the reserve Carmen year. Oh, as if Carmen year could get any more fun. You just, um, or, or as Coco calls this Carm. So there Carm, we go. My Carm. Yeah. Um, so, we believed fully this was a place that could make the best wine in the world. 
And that was motivated by the fact that back before prohibition, this was an up and coming grape growing region. Really? It was um, really discovered by immigrants that came here for the, um, the gold. Um, There was a lot of mining that was going on up, um, up the Clearwater river. And all these people came here with their culture of wine, French immigrants, Italian immigrants, German immigrants, and they got here and they had just come from wine country and they looked around and they thought, Oh my God, we, this could is we should be growing grapes. We can make <laughs> yeah. vino. And, and they didn't really necessarily think about it from a commercial perspective initially, but, um, as all the great wineries start with, well, let's just make wine for us. <laughs> well, yeah. They're like, we need some wine for dinner. You know? Exactly. And right? we can't buy a bottle here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, they started doing it, and in, eight, um, in 1872, um, Louis Del Sol, a French immigrant, planted the first commercial vineyard. And it exploded from there and um, grew up until the time the Prohibition killed it. And no, it just was not populated enough here. We did not have <coughs> enough Catholic influence maybe at the time to save the wine industry you know what's that saying about those catholics they are amazing and i they need delicious communion wine and um so anyway it fell away and it just didn't come back until very recently um carl and i actually produced the first commercial wine from vitus vinifera since prohibition in 2005 so from there um when we got going Carl and I knew from the out, right from the beginning, like if, if we are the only ones here believing in this and making, we could make the best wine in the world, but no one's going to believe it if we don't have an industry here around us. Right. When, um, we started actually Carl to his credit was like to make this, um, to make, to make sure that people take us seriously and see what we see, we have got to get an AVA established here, an American Viticultural yeah, Area. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, how in the hell are we going to do that? There's just, I mean, at the time, we were the only <laughs> winery here that was extremely focused on grapes from here. It, Produce, you know, making wines from grapes grown within the valley. And that, that connection between the growing and the making in the same region. And so... Um, anyway, I kind of shot him down cause I was like, how do we do that? And we started looking into it and yeah, I mean, at that point we had two acres of grapes. So yeah. I mean, it's an ABA, right? Yeah. No, but the history what? alone. <laughs> so what I'm hearing here is actually Carl does more than just make great labels. He does. Yeah. <laughs> okay. he, does. So he has good ideas as well. Um, this is the newest ABA. Not anymore. It, oh, okay. In, in how, how old is this ABA? 2016. Okay. So, but again, there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get this to happen. Oh right, gosh, which yeah. is kind of where we stopped in our tracks there back in 2003 because we looked into what it took to take to get an AVA established right. and we did not have the time, money, all of it. So um, sat, kept going with what we were doing and um, when Coulter's Creek came on board in the valley, so they're another winery here, very like-minded. Mm. There are a couple scientists as well very committed to producing a state fruit and locally grown wines from the Lewis Clark Valley and they're friends. And, um, when they came on board, we got together with them and said, Hey guys, Guess what? Be we a- have this really kind of silly idea. <laughs> want to be a co-conspirator? That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they became partners in crime and 
but with them, so with Mike and Melissa and Carl and myself, we've reached out to an economic development agency here to help us jump on the idea. And they didn't laugh at us. Luckily, they were really embracing of the idea. And we wrote a grant um, application, and dang it, if we didn't get it. Wow. wow. That's um, and so, so that cool. money was the, the seed crystal for getting the... Um, the ball rolling on getting the application of no, the feds done and all that. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many ABAs are there in Idaho? Uh, three. Three? Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. It's so, Lewis, six. yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, okay, right, yeah. I keep thinking the it's e- tiny slip, yeah. The Eagle Foothills, yep. Snake River, and Lewis Clark Valley. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. And it's Lewis Clark Valley, not Lewis and Clark Valley. Right. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Lewis, Lewis Clark. Yes. Hyphen Clark, Clark. Valley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about, so you received, um, a lot of awards recently, including yeah. the 2020 Pacific Northwest Winery of the Year, which yeah. is amazing, <laughs> and a record breaker for the amount of medals you received this year, right? For the Pacific Northwest. Um, yeah. So at the Platinum Judging, um, the Wine Press Northwest has a Platinum Judging at the end of each year. It's kind of a Super Bowl. Um, all the gold medal winning wines for the year produced by Pacific Northwest wineries get invited to compete in the platinum judging. Um, just those specific wines that have gotten gold. And um, so we sent wines, we sent 12 wines and we ended up with eight platinums. And that's wow. n- the only other time that's ever happened. Eight platinums. Well, five double platinums and, and five. Yeah. Three yeah. Platinums. So true. Yeah. So even better than just eight platinums, but five doubles, <laughs> wow. five doubles and, and, um, yeah, three platinums. <laughs> We're not sure that anyone has ever done that quite like that, but um, Mary Hill's been able to peg eight platinums before, but um, they entered more than 12 wines. So, so. <laughs> what this basically says, you guys are on the right path. You're, you've got the right idea yeah. going here, you know? It's super, yeah. I think yeah. it might work. <laughs> I, think it, I think we have something here. And it's funny because we heard Coco, you say yesterday multiple times, look, I... I don't, we don't need to brag and stuff. We should be proud about this. Of course, Shelly on the way up here shows me an Instagram photo of you holding eight of these awards. Like fish on my fingers? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Fish on your fingers. And then, and then the, the next, next one was fish. <laughs> <laughs> so the true outdoor people uh, and whatnot. Real quick about this Carmenere. Anything you guys want to mention? Because this is Shelly's mm-hmm. all-time favorite. This is the one wine we purchased over and over from you guys is your Carmenere. <laughs> Thank so. you. We take Carmen really seriously here. <laughs> um, You're kidding. No, so, a surpri- You're kidding. <laughs> so the Carm is from Finney Hill. Um, it's in the Horse Seven Hills, grown by the Bechtel family, which are literally like they are an extension of our family. Dick is like my second dad, um, and Brandon is like Brandon and Will are like the. The brother we ne- brothers we never had. Carl and I both have sisters, so. <laughs> Brennan and Will are the sons. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the second, uh, so Carmenere is actually one of our um, largest production wines, which for us is tiny. It just t- tells you how um, important it is to us. It's, um, I'm very, I'm, I'm a, the youngest child in my family and I don't share very well. <laughs> and when we figured out how good Finney Hill Carm was, I was like, I want it all. All of it. I want it all. And so we don't, um, have the contract on every single bit of Finney Carm, but Give dang time. close. <laughs> Give I think time. there's only about a half acre out there that we don't have the contract on right now, but I'm okay with it because it's, 
Ryan at Tertulia that has the other piece of the action out there. And I love him and he makes great harm too. So it's good. So you'll share that. I'll share that with you. Itty bitty. I'll share that with you, Ryan. I love yours too. So, um, so we do a flagship carm and our 2018 carm was released in the fall, but we selected our favorite barrels from that vintage and kept them in the, in the, in the barrel and sat on them for 30 months and then produced the reserve. Carm. And yeah. this is the first reserve carbon that we've produced. Yeah, it is the first time we've ever done that. I was it's, worried because we were, yeah, we were worried. Like how, how do you, the uh, carbon has been our most awarded variety and, and has definitely kind of, we've made a name for ourselves on that variety. And so like, how do you, how do you make it better? How do yeah. you elevate that? You know? Yeah. Those steps are probably a little smaller steps when you get to that level. Well, it's, it speaks to the position we're in now. I mean, yeah. we now are comfortable enough um, with the club and with where we're at financially too now, finally, to be able to play and yeah. take some risks and, and really get creative and not feel like, oh my God, we can't deviate from this. This is the, you know, this is the one thing that's working right now, you know, or whatever. <laughs> There's not that feeling. It's like everything is just falling into place. And so our fear with um, hanging on to a few barrels of carm was that maybe that, that fruit and, um, and the pepper might fade with a little bit of with extended time, mm. but that is not the case. <laughs> we, we, we put our toe in the water a few years back and kept back about, I guess it was two barrels of carm and then slipped it into our Selway program, but it was proof that it was working. And we're like, right. oh my God, this is, this is insane. We're doing a reserve carm. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you come up with 30 months? Because I know you mentioned you don't want to keep testing it all the time because your wine changes every mm-hmm. time you but No, it changes. You, you start, there's nothing left Great. after you taste it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 60, it was 60 it gallon barrels. It just seems to be kind of the magic yes. moment yeah. for yeah. it. Um, for us, in, in the way we make wine, and, and no winemaker would be able to... Like they got to find that sweet spot for themselves because it's all based on like the cellar you have, the temperature you're at, the way you've got the barrels stacked, all those little things affect how that wine's going to age. How many times you touch it, you know, or how much are you sampling? Because you let oxygen in the barrels a little bit more with each Mm -hmm. time, right? Never thought about the way you have it stacked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably just all these little things all come into play. Little Mm -hmm. variables. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are at the end of this podcast, and they have got a lot of people here <laughs> trying to do their work. Real quick, they're, they're we knocking are, down the door. That's right, they are. <laughs> Let us in. Uh, we are at episode fifty-five. Uh, are you guys big sports fans at all? Sports um, fans? No. Well, bike riders. Like when, we're, when we get invited to a game with you know, in front with friends have tickets and stuff, we I love, love to be love, at the game. We love basketball for sure. I wouldn't necessarily call us sports fans. We are, we love to yeah. be the the, atmosphere. in the game ourselves yes. rather than the, the spectator. Than the spectator. <laughs> um, but I don't know. We're runners and we're mountain bikers. That's a different sport and sport is sport is sport. <laughs> but I used to think I was going to be in the WNBA when I was in high school. So Sue Burton and I are like this. I could probably introduce you. Yeah, I was really, really She's in 19 years in the league or something. That's amazing. Yeah. She's like unbelievable. I, I and she's really nice. I lived and died by basketball all through as a child and through high school and realized that I was never going to play WNBA when I got offered a $5,000 scholarship from WSU to be the coxswain on the road team. But that's... Ah, uh, I've heard that's, that story before. Yeah. Yeah. She went to basketball camp and then... Got offered a coxswain job. 
You're like, yeah. <laughs> not to do anything, not to be physical, but just, just to yell. Freeze yell. my ass off <laughs> and scream at people. What do you mean? Four o'clock at the Palouse? Is it? Oh, it's by the yeah. way, um, we went this entire time, and I never mentioned that uh, you're a Trojan, I'm a Husky, and we've got a cougar here. <laughs> <laughs> Number 55, Larry Murphy, NHL, has a, I don't know who he is, and Derek Brooks, NFL, honestly don't even know him, and you would think I'd know an NFL guy, but I do know Oral Hershiser. he was number 55, kind of a big baseball guy, and Shelly, do you want to talk about the wines we had this week, there's not many of them, or do you want me to do it? Go ahead, because I don't uh, even remember. <laughs> <laughs> she has closed up her notes. Uh, we have had the Wild Haven Chardonnay, other than the all of this Clearwater Canyon. Uh, we had the Empathy Rosé. Gary's... Always uh, a good one. Yep, uh, very good. Have you had that? Empathy no. Rosé? Empathy, uh, you know Gary Vaynerchuk? Mm-mm. Okay, big wine guy back in the East Coast. Won't go into it, but he also is a huge social media guy. Uh, created, he finds little niches. And he was like, there's, there's something getting lost between really good wine, then there's the distributor, and then there's the consumer, and there's all that added money. And so he just wanted to go direct. And mm-hmm. so they created wines. Um, they're making them out of California, things like this. Uh, hmm. He touts $20 wines, $40 value. That, to ah. me, is subjective in opinion. And, of course, the <laughs> um, person who owns the winery would love to say that because then you think you're getting a great deal. They are really very good. And we just got on there as a, as a member. So we're getting some, I think, three wines every quarter, something oh, like fun. that. Yeah. So that, that'll be kind of fun. Uh, and then we have the Malaya Tempranillo, which is the wine of the month down at Culinary Stone for May um, at eleven ninety nine. Anyway, mm. thank you so very much, both of you. Thank you. This yeah. has been fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Coco's mom is coming in to grab her and say, you need to get back to work. Uh, anything else anybody wants to add before we wrap it up, put a bow. No, thank you guys for taking the time to come visit us. Yeah. It was wonderful having you guys on the on the floor yeah. with the wine club and mm-hmm. um, it, it was, having it was during, the, during the wine club event last night. You actually had music. It was much softer. <laughs> I loved it. It was very low key. Uh, this has been a really, really educational one, and with a little bit of knowledge, you see what I did there. <laughs> wine becomes a lot less overwhelming. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. See you next week when we have my daughter, Lindsay, and her husband, Brian, whether it's Yucca Valley or Kingman, Arizona. We're not exactly sure where we're going to be recording from, but there's another guest next week. We've got guests lined up this whole month. Awesome. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your wine. See you next week. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Thanks for taking Looking for a place that you can enjoy a quiet conversation over a glass of wine from an amazing wine list without breaking the bank? Studio 107 is the place for you. At Studio 107, we have a new selection of wines chosen each week for tasting by the flight or by the glass, as well as a unique collection of bottles from wineries around the world. For our beer-loving friends, we offer a terrific selection of micro-brews too. At Studio 107, your downtown Coeur d'Alene wine bar and gallery, we believe small towns still deserve great wines. Visit Studio107CD8.com for more information. Thank you for spending part of your day to wind down with Shelly and Phil. 
Remember, you can listen to any episode of the Wine Time Fridays podcast by visiting winetimefridays.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us on our Wine Time Fridays Facebook page, Instagram, or on Twitter, which is at Vintage Tweets, for daily conversation. Until next week, here's our toast to you. To health, wealth, abundance, gratitude, peace on earth, and of course, romance.